0: Hello and welcome. My name is Gary Fogel and this is Kentucky Sports Memories. And this week, our topic is Dan Issel. Dan, many of you remember, a great athlete and great basketball player at the University of Kentucky. He also went on to have a stellar pro career. Let's begin at Kentucky. He was recruited out of Illinois, Batavia, Illinois, is where he went to high school. And in 1966, Kentucky signed him to become a Wildcat. He did not play his freshman year at UK because freshmen were not eligible to play for the varsity back then. It wasn't until the uh, 1970s that freshmen could play on the varsity. So his first year, he was just a practice player and also played on the freshman team. But he started playing varsity in the 1967-68 season. So for the three seasons he played varsity, he ended up averaging 25 points per game for his career. He averaged more than 30 points per game as a senior, and he is the all time leading scorer in UK men's basketball history, even still to today, even though many players who have followed him had four years of varsity experience while Dan only had three. And many of those players had the three point shot that they could uh, use in the game, and Dan did not have that. And although he was a big guy at six foot nine, Many of his shots came from long range. But still, the all-time leading scorer in U.K. men's basketball history played from 1967 through 70. Uh, he helped to lead U.K. to three SEC titles while he was there. He was a two-time All-American, and he had, uh, by the time he left, he had 25 school records that he owned. So quite a college career. We'll get into his pro career later in the show, but right now we're just talking about his college career. And before we hear from Dan, I want to hear from Joe B. Hall. As you know, Joe B. was the head basketball coach at UK from 1972 to 85. But prior to that, he was an assistant coach under Adolph Rupp. And he was an assistant when Dan Issel was there. And it was Joe B. Hall's duty in 1966 to go up to Illinois and recruit Issel. And it's a very interesting story that uh, Coach Hall and later Dan will reiterate about the recruiting process to get Dan to come to Kentucky. So I'm going to start with my conversation with Coach Joby Hall, and now he recruited Dan Issel out of Illinois. I've heard
1: a story that when you guys were recruiting Dan Issel that Ruff wanted him so badly that he had you go recruiting him and you, you darn near lived with him, darn near moved in with him. Yeah, I finally moved into a
2: motel in Batavia, Illinois, and I'd go with his father. His dad was an interior painter, painting the interiors, apartments and houses and business, things like that. And I would go with him, and he'd work, it. I'd sit, and I'd talk to him. And it was all about basketball. You went to work with his dad yesterday? Yeah. Day? yeah, I went up there. How many days were you up there? I was there a little over a week. It was me and Mr. Isle in and his painting. There was the interesting conversation all day every day. <laughs> and we talked basketball till we wore out about it. The final night, I was home with the family, having dinner. I, of course, bought the safe, and Ms. Dissel had cooked them. And we were all in the living room after dinner. And this old Dan, I pressured him every day to sign the grand name. So that night, I said, Dan, you know, i might go home visit. My
0: family, a little bit. (laughs) I said, Why don't you sign those papers? So I'm going to interrupt Coach Hall there to, to reiterate. He went and spent, as he says, a little more than a week up in Batavia, Illinois, recruiting Dan Issel. Went every day to work with Dan's dad. Dan's dad was an interior painter, and Coach Hall said he would turn over a bucket, sit on the paint bucket while the dad painted. And they'd talk basketball all day long. And then the evenings, uh, Joe would uh, have dinner with the Issel family. Either buy something, Coach Hall would buy the food and bring it there, and, and Dan's mom would prepare it, or, Issel, or I'm sorry, Coach Hall would take the Issel family out to dinner. And as you heard him say, he finally got to the last night and said, Dan, please please sign this letter of intent. So I'll pick it up from there with my conversation with Dan Issel about that recruiting visit from Coach Hall. Coach Hall tells me the story. I talked with him. Of course, Ruff
1: was the head coach at the time. Coach Hall was the assistant. And he tells the story that he basically came to Illinois and moved in with you. (laughs) Is that (laughs) that correct?
3: (laughs) Well, that happened. Here's the part of the story that Joe will deny, but I know is absolutely the truth. They, they wanted another player at the center position, a fellow by the name of George Janke, who played in downtown Chicago and wound up signing with Dayton. And he was really their first choice. But after he signed with Dayton, yeah, coach, coach hall did come to Batavia. He, he, he called one day and he said, uh, Dan, I'm in Batavia. Can I come by the house? And I said, sure, coach. I said, but, uh, you know, at, uh, at seven thirty, I have a date. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, if you can come before that, that'd be fine. So he came to the house and, uh, and, and, um, uh, and was sitting at the kitchen table with me and my mother and my father. And at seven thirty, I thanked him and I got up and left and I came home at 11 o'clock and, and my father had gone to bed, but coach hall was still at the kitchen table with my mother. <laughs> and. Uh, he he stayed in Batavia for three or four days. I know he he went to work. My father was a house painter, and uh, he went to work with my dad a couple of days and sat sat in the middle of the room on a five gallon bucket. But uh, yeah, the the uh, the recruiting really uh, upped in intensity after Janky signed
1: with Dayton. Well, first of all, I've never heard of George Janky, and whatever happened to him? That's my first question. George was was George was
3: a decent college player in, in those days Dayton uh, had a really good program of course they do today too but uh, uh back then they were they were outstanding and they they wound up going to the to the final four uh the year before when George would be a freshman at Dayton but uh, uh and then he wound up the la- last I heard he uh, he had a pretty successful career working for a radio station in in Dayton. But uh, he was an outstanding high school player.
1: All right, so getting back to Coach Hall recruiting you, he tells me that his mission was basically to stay there until he got you to sign. (laughs) <laughs> Whether that took three days, three weeks, three months, three years, ever how long, his job was to stay there. And he finally said to you, Dan, I want to go home and see my family. Would you please sign these papers? <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't sign the papers.
3: What I agreed, I had taken a, a recruiting trip earlier to Kentucky all by myself. It uh, it was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. I was 17 years old and flew into Louisville and coach Hall picked me up in Louisville and drove me to Lexington. And, but what we did agree to do was to take a second recruiting trip. So my father paid for the second trip and he and I went to, uh, went to Kentucky, uh, his first time, uh, me, my second time. Uh, and then after that second recruiting trip, we, uh, we wound up signing at Kentucky. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Coach Hall, uh, we we did we did agree to take a second recruiting trip so he could go back to Lexington.
1: <laughs> what other schools were you looking at? Uh,
3: it was really uh, the two schools that I looked at most seriously until Kentucky uh, increased their recruiting efforts were Northwestern and and Wisconsin. Um, I my uh, my mom and dad. Uh, Wanted me to go to Northwestern, and um, uh, you know, because it was so close to my hometown and was a great academic school. I wanted to go to the University of Wisconsin, and in those days, they actually had conference letters of intent, and I signed a Big Ten letter uh, to go to Wisconsin, Uh, but that that just precluded me from going any to any other Big Ten school, and of course, uh, was still. was still able to go to Kentucky.
1: So mom and dad wanted you to go to Northwestern. You wanted to go to Wisconsin. So why did you pick Kentucky? You want to get Joe Hall out of your house? Why <laughs> <laughs> now,
3: I, I'll tell you why I didn't want to go to Northwestern. And this is this is a stupid story. But if it hadn't happened, I probably would have gone to Northwestern. Um my buddies in high school batavia is at the far western uh suburbs and my buddies at at uh, in high school said you don't want to go to northwestern that's where all the rich kids from chicago go and the girls wear mink coats to the fraternity parties and you won't fit in there and I, i took a recruiting trip and i went out to eat with a with a basketball player uh, at the time and his girlfriend. And the three of us went to a hamburger joint and they ordered hamburgers, not, not open-faced hamburgers, regular hamburgers on a bun and ate them with a knife and a fork. Uh,
1: <laughs> and,
3: and and everything my buddies told me about it being a, you know, a rich, a rich floozy school came back in my memory and, I tell people if they hadn't eaten their hamburgers with a knife and a fork, I probably would have gone to Northwestern.
0: So just because a basketball player at Northwestern and his girlfriend eat their hamburgers with a knife and a fork is possibly the reason Dan Essel ended up at the University of Kentucky. Who eats a hamburger with a knife and fork anyway? I've never done that. Why would you do that? Anyway, I can't imagine the pressure Coach Hall was under in having to go back to Lexington and face Coach Rupp and say, well... Dan agreed to come visit again, but I didn't get his signature. I can't imagine how that went over, uh, telling Coach Rupp that. But anyway, it all worked out, as you know. And when we come back, we'll hear the story of when Coach Hall actually got the letter of intent, the story behind that, and we'll talk about Dan's college career. So that's coming up in just a moment. Stay with us. I'm Gary Fogel. This is Kentucky Sports Memories.
4: Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a, a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211, and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is. And they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270 737 6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones, and so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211. And if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you. Be well.
0: I'm Gary Fogel, and welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. Today, our topic is Dan Issel. And in the first segment, you heard about the story where Coach Joe B. Hall went up to Batavia, Illinois, to recruit Issel and hopefully get him to sign the letter of intent and bring it back to Coach Rupp. Didn't quite get that, but he did get Issel to agree to come for another visit. And then later, Issel goes back, signs the letter of intent. He also has to have the signature of a parent, so his father signs and when they do, they call Coach Hall to let him know the letter of intent is in the mail. It's been signed. It's on its way. So Coach Hall takes the phone call in the basketball coach's office. He's excited. He tells Coach Rupp. And Coach Hall says that Coach Rupp is so excited, he wants to tell the world. He wants everybody to know that Kentucky has signed Dan on Coach Hall said to him, well... Let's hold on. Let's let's get the letter of intent actually in our hands before we say anything, just in case something happens. So let's not say anything yet. So Coach Rupp agreed to that, and he called in his other assistant coach, Harry Lancaster, and Coach Rupp said to Coach Hall and Coach Lancaster, all right, we're getting this letter of intent. The three of us know it. We're not going to tell anybody. So if word gets out... I'm going to know it came from one of you two. And they all agreed to that. So after that, Coach Hall and Coach Lancaster head over to the U.K. baseball game, and they run into a U.K. basketball booster who's at the game, and he comes up to Coach Lancaster, and Coach Hall tells us what this booster said to Coach Lancaster. Congratulations,
2: Harry. We got this. Hi, and that Did you find that? He said, Well, Coach Rupp, just call, call me and talk.
0: <laughs> so, Coach Rupp, who uh, wanted to keep it a secret, couldn't keep it a secret and likely made the phone call right after Coach Hall and Coach Lancaster left his office. So, anyway, word was out. They signed this. So he comes to Kentucky. So we move on now, and I continue my conversation with Dan about his career at UK. There's a story I've heard for
1: years, I've never known it's true, that Rupp said, if you come here, I'll make sure you leave as the all-time leading scorer.
2: Yeah,
3: now, I I don't think, when, when I first went there, I don't think anybody, including me, thought I would have the career that I had at Kentucky. That actually happened before my senior year. We had, uh, we had, because Phil Argento was the only player in the class ahead of me, we had 12 uh, freshmen on scholarship my freshman year. And we had Mike Pratt, who was Mr. Basketball in Ohio. We had the Mr. Basketball in uh, Alabama. We had the Mr. Basketball in Tennessee. And of course, Mike Casey, was Mister. Ba- I, I think we had almost the entire uh, uh, first team of Kentucky All Stars, and so there were twelve of us at at, at Kentucky. Uh, but that actually happened by we had a very difficult running program that Coach Hall ran uh, before practice started on October fifteenth, and and it was uh, it was difficult uh, a- after you got done with that wa- running program in the fall. Uh, basketball practice was was easy and so before my senior year um, some of the players who hadn't played much and obviously weren't going to play much that year we had a team meeting and they said uh, uh, we 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 want you to go we, uh, I was a captain and they said I want we want you to go to coach up and, and tell him." We think the, the running program is too hard and it should be easier. So I went into <laughs> coach Rupp's office. Uh, this would have been the, the fall of my senior year. And I said, now, coach, I want you to understand this is not my idea. I'm here as the team captain, but uh, some of the players would like to ease up on the running program. And he said, uh, Dan, do you realize you have a chance to be the all time leading scorer here? and uh i said well I, I know with a good year that that could happen and he said you go out and run today and i'll make sure that uh that that happens and uh he was he was true to his word and uh i went out just me and the five freshmen went out and ran that day and i don't know what transpired back at in the locker room but uh the next day everybody was out and, and the running program didn't get any easier. It might, it might have got a little more difficult, but
1: that's when Coach Rupp said that to me. <laughs> I gotta ask, did you really think that you would have any success with that argument with Coach Rupp? <laughs>
3: no, no.
1: You know. He didn't he didn't even address that issue. he,
3: he knew what carrot to dangle in front of me. To right. get me to go to get me
1: to go out and run and
3: that's that's all he wanted to do.
1: Now another story I've heard and I assume it's true, it's one time during a game, your teammates weren't getting you the ball, and Coach Ruff called time out and he said, Gentlemen, this is Dan Issel. He's gonna be the all time leading scorer here. I'd like for you to meet him. <laughs> or something to that effect. Is that a true story? Yeah, it that that actually happened
3: uh in what would have been the, my next to the last game at Kentucky, we were playing in the regional tournament, and we played. Uh, we were playing uh, Notre Dame and Austin Carr, who was a tremendous player. And uh, of course, we would lose the next game uh, to uh, Jacksonville. But it was at that game where, uh, like the first five minutes of the game, I don't think I had had a shot. And um, what what he said was. Uh, this is this is Dan Issel. He's the all-time leading scorer at the University of Kentucky. I'd like for you to meet him, and I'd like for you to get him the basketball.
0: <laughs> well, they did get him the ball, and Kentucky went on to win that game by 10 over Notre Dame and the great Austin Carr. So uh, Issel mentioned they then played Jacksonville, which would have been his final game of his career. They played Jacksonville the next game in the what was the finals of the uh, Mideast Regional in the NCAA Tournament. Uh, that was a classic game. Kentucky was ranked number one in the country at the time, favored to win it, but Jacksonville pulls off the upset. 106-100 to 100, was the final in that game. ISO had 28 points, but uh, Artis Gilmore, the great center for Jacksonville, who later became um, Issel's teammate for the Kentucky Colonels. Artis Gilmore had 24 for Jacksonville in that one. Interesting, Kentucky put five players in double figures in that final game. You figure if you put five players in double figures, you're going to win it. Tom Parker, as I said, Issel had 28. Tom Parker had 21 points in that game. Terry Mills had 18. Mike Pratt had 14. And Kent Hollenbeck had 10. And all and plus what the sub scored off the bench, but all added up to 100 points total for Kentucky. But again, Jacksonville scored 106 and uh, they knocked off Kentucky with the upset. As I said, Kentucky ranked number one in the country at the time and knocked off. Interesting, too, five players fouled out of that game for Kentucky, and Issel was one of them. As a matter of fact, he was the first player to foul out, and he played with four fouls for a while, and Jacksonville, trying to get that fifth foul on him, finally get a charging call against Issel, a controversial charging call in that game, and it happened with 10 minutes and 16 seconds remaining in the second half. So Kentucky goes more than half of the second half without Issel, who'd already scored 28 points. So you figure if he doesn't foul out, Kentucky goes on to win that one. But he fouls out on a controversial charging call. Uh, Issel and Coach Rupp thought it should have been a blocking call against the Jacksonville defender, but Issel was called for charging his fifth and final foul. And he goes out, and as I mentioned, Kentucky goes on to lose that game in an upset, losing to Jacksonville. And then Jacksonville went on to play in the uh, went to the final four, and they won in their semifinal game. Then they lost to UCLA in the championship, which would have been the fourth of seven in a row championships won by UCLA. So that's how Dan Issel's college career wrapped up. Once again, he's the all-time leading scorer in U.K. basketball history one of three members in the 2,000-point club for U.K., ISO scoring 2,138 points for his career. He averaged 16 points a game as a sophomore, 26 as a junior, 33 as a senior. Overall, his point-per-game average was 25 points per game for his career. Uh, the other two members of the 2,000-point club for U.K., just in case you're curious, Kenny Walker. Kenny Skywalker, who played in the 80s, He had uh, 2,080 points, and just behind him, Jack Givens, who played in the 70s and was a key component to Kentucky winning the 1978 NCAA championship, he had 2,038 points. So anyway, Dan Issel wraps up his college career with that upset loss against Artis Gilmore in Jacksonville, and he moves on to his pro career, starting out with the Kentucky Colonels in the ABA. And we'll talk with Dan. Pick up our conversation from there when we come back. So stay with me. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. I'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. Thanks for joining me. And our topic today is Dan Issel. So we've been through his college career. Let's move on to his professional career, which was a stellar one. Played 15 years of professional basketball, and he began his career with the Kentucky Colonels in the ABA, the American Basketball Association, rival league to the NBA. 1970, he uh, joined the Colonels, and he played there for five seasons, his fifth season, fifth and final year, the Colonels win a championship. And right after that, Colonels, in need of cash, sell Dan Issel. They don't trade him, they sell him. And it's, it, it was a stickler for him in having to uh, swallow that pill. And we'll talk about that when I continue my conversation with Issel coming up in just a moment. But just some numbers on Issel as far as his NBA um, and ABA career both, as I said First, his first five seasons with the Colonels, and his first six years in the ABA. His final 10 years were in Denver, and the final nine years were in the NBA. His uh, rookie year, he was rookie of the year, averaged just under 30 points per game that rookie season, 29.9 points per game, and he uh, averaged 22.6 points per game for his career as a professional player. Of course, in the Basketball Hall of Fame, one of the most famous players to ever come out of the ABA and still continued his stellar career in the NBA. So he signed with the Colonels back in 1970, and uh, we pick it up from there. I actually
1: signed my contract uh, with the Colonels before the NBA had their
3: draft. We We talked to some of the NBA teams and knew that the money was about the same ABA or NBA, and the fact that I could just go up the road and play with the Colonels and stay in Kentucky was was very appealing. So uh, Detroit, the Pistons actually drafted me, I think, in the eighth round, uh, but I had already signed my contract with the Colonels.
1: And so you go to the Colonels, and I I talked with Louie Dampier, as you know, and Louie laughed. And he said, you know, we were talking about Louie being the all-time leading scorer in ABA history. And I said, well, you know, Louie, Dan was gaining on you, and Dr. J was gaining on you. And I said, you just fortunately, the the, uh, league folded before they could catch you. And and he laughed, and he said, yeah, but also, once Dan got there, my scoring went down because I had to pass him the ball.
3: (laughs) Well, I think... I think that that might be true, but I think he could put uh, he could put artists in that conversation too. He had, he had to pass it to bo- to both of us, but no, Louis was a Louis was a phenomenal player and and the, the most humble man I know, and uh, he uh, he was outstanding, and and he certainly deserved that record.
1: Now let's see, Louie was a senior at UK when you were a freshman, correct? That's right. And yep. so you never played with him because back then freshmen were not eligible to play varsity. So you practiced with him but never played with him. But then you played with him with the Colonels, and you and Louie became close friends, and, and you're still very close, correct?
2: Very,
3: very close. For some reason, uh, I don't know if it was the Indiana-Illinois connection or what it was, but uh, for some reason Louie and I became uh Became very good friends uh, when I was a freshman and and he was a senior. I mean, Pat Riley wouldn't talk to any of us, but Lou, Louie was very very kind to the freshmen. So uh, even even though I didn't play with him at Kentucky, we were we were friends there, and of course uh, he was one of the reasons that I came uh, and signed with uh, with the Colonels. And uh, we roomed together for four years with the uh, with the colonels and uh, and and did all kinds of things together. So Louie and I have been very close uh, for fifty years.
1: You won a championship in seventy five with the colonels. How special was that for you?
3: Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it, it it was the highlight of of my basketball career. I was blessed to play twenty five years of organized basketball junior high high school college and 15 years as a pro and it was the only championship that I ever won so um you know when when I when I look at my career and and what I was able to accomplish that that certainly is at the top of the heap
1: you win the championship in 75 and then right which was as you say your highlight and then right after that was one of your lowest points when the colonels not trade you, but they sell you to the Baltimore Claws.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: with, without a doubt. Uh,
3: you know, I, Sherry, uh, my wife was born and raised in Lexington and I'd been in Lexington for four years and then Louisville for five years. And, you know, we, we had built our dream house in Louisville and we thought we'd be there forever. And all of a sudden I was with the Baltimore Claws, but, uh, you know it uh, it it worked out because uh I we were only in Baltimore for about 10 days and um and they wound up never paying John Y Brown for me so he was looking uh for alternatives and uh I was on my way to Denver shortly after that and of course the Nuggets were one of the four ABA teams that that went into the N- NBA so uh you know at the time we were very, very unhappy and didn't like leaving Kentucky, but it, it all worked out for the best.
1: The Baltimore clause folded before they ever even played a single game. As you said, you end up in Denver, you finish out your career in Denver. Then you buy a horse farm. Why, why did you do that? Well, that
3: was, that was my goal. Uh, I had fallen in love with the horse business, uh, when when I took that first recruiting trip to uh, Lexington that I talked about, uh, they took me out uh, uh, to uh, uh, Calumet Farm. I saw the cemetery there. I saw how beautiful those farms were. I actually lived on a dairy farm in Missouri until I started junior high, and that's when we moved to Batavia. But uh, so I I had fallen in love with the horse business. had had owned mares. Uh, in partnership with people in Lexington, and so that that was always my goal. As I was as I was playing professional basketball, that was always a goal to get back to Central Kentucky and and start a horse farm. Uh, the only problem is my timing was awful. Uh, I bought my farm in 1985, and uh, it was uh, at the height of the thoroughbred industry. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, the, the United States went into a recession, and the horse business went south, and uh, and so we only had it for about three three and a half years when we uh, we sold it. But uh, but that was my dream, and thoroughbred horse racing is still my favorite sport, even more so than basketball. Uh, yeah. Give it given the choice of going to a basketball game, or going to
1: Keeneland for the day, I'll pick Keeneland every time. (laughs) I did not know that. I knew you loved the sport, but I didn't know you loved it more than basketball.
3: Uh, Yeah. Very
1: interesting. So you go into coaching, you coach the Nuggets, and and I think, tell me if I'm incorrect here, by the end of it, you had kind of gotten burnt out on coaching. Is that correct? Well, I I actually coached
3: the Nuggets uh, two different times. I coached him for uh, about uh, three years in the early 90s and three years in the late 90s and had had two remarkably different experiences. The first time I coached, we had uh, a bunch of young fellows that uh, were tired of losing when I took over the Nuggets. Uh, The Nuggets had had the worst record in the NBA for two consecutive years. And I had people like Dikembe Mutombo and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, of course, Chris Jackson, who played at LSU, LaFonso Ellis from Notre Dame, uh, Brian Stiff from Virginia, uh, Reggie Williams from Georgetown. Just great kids, hardworking kids, wanted to do whatever they could to, to be successful And uh, we we turned that around, and uh, two years later, we went to the playoffs and and beat Seattle, who was the number one seed, had the best record in the NBA that year, and beat them in a five-game series. And uh, that was certainly the highlight of my coaching career. The second time I coached the Nuggets, it it wasn't the same. We had a, a veteran team, had a lot of injuries, uh, and, um, yeah, at that, at that point, after the second tenure, um, things had gone pretty, pretty well South and, uh, and, uh, burned out, uh, would not be an aggressive word to
1: use for for
3: my <laughs> mental,
1: for my mental state at that time. You're in your early seventies now. When's the last time you played a pickup game, played any, any basketball at all? Uh, oh, I don't, I don't. Play anymore
3: <laughs> about three years after I retired as a pro and I was on the horse farm in in Lexing in Versailles actually uh I was asked to play in a, a in a uh, alumni game a UK alumni game and it was over in Frankfurt and Louis played and I tried to play and a bunch of UK former UK players and um I'd, I'd been out of basketball for two or three years, and we're driving from Frankfurt. We're driving back to Versailles, and my son, Scott, who's about, oh, I don't know, nine or ten at the time, says from the back seat, Dad, I thought you were good. And <laughs> the, the, the light bulb went on, and uh, I thought, you know, what What am I trying to do? Anything, anything I do now will just subtract from and what people thought about me when I actually played. So, I haven't played in a long time now. I I do um I do shoot in the driveway with my grandchildren uh and uh and try to uh, you know, when they ask, I don't force it on them, but when they ask, we do a little coaching, but uh you know, I have I have played the game for a long long time. Now, you,
1: I think, travel back and forth now between Denver and Louisville because Denver is still home for you for now, right? Because well, your wife wants well, to be there because of the
3: grandkids? Exactly. Both of our children and their families uh, live in, in uh, Denver, just south of Denver. And uh, in fact, they live about 15 minutes apart and, uh, my daughter has a uh, has a 17 year old son and a 15 year old daughter, and uh, my son has three boys that are four, nine, and eleven. And so, uh, yeah, we have to get back to Denver every once in a while to to get a, a grandkid fix. We were we were back there for uh, uh, most of a month of uh, of June, and uh, and just returned to uh, Louisville.
0: Well, Dan mentioned living here in Louisville, and there's a specific reason he moved back to Kentucky, and um, we'll get into that at the end of the next segment, because really why he's back here pertains to what we're going to talk about in next week's show. And uh, again, I'll give you a little more information on that in the next segment. But the first part of the next segment, we're going to talk again with Lloyd Gardner. Who was the trainer for the Kentucky Colonels? Last week we heard from him as he talked about Louis Dampier and what type of a person Dampier was. Well, this week he'll talk about Dan Essel. So we'll have that conversation when we return. I'm Gary Fogel. This is Kentucky Sports Memories.
4: Krista Shouse with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a, a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211, and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is. And they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270 737 6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones, and so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211. And if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you. Be well.
0: Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle, and this is the fourth and final segment of our show. Thanks for sticking around, and our topic is Dan Issel. As we continue, we've looked at his um, college career, and he talked about his professional career, his coaching career. So in this last segment, I wanted to talk to Lloyd Gardner, Many of you know Lloyd. Uh, I've I've leaned on Lloyd for many of my shows because he's an expert in so many areas, but especially when it comes to Kentucky Colonels basketball. Lloyd was um, a coach at Faraday. Many of you remember that. He was on the uh, coaching staff when Faraday won back-to-back boys' state high school basketball championships in 90 and 91. Then he was the head coach in 94 when they won it. But prior to all that, Back in the 60s, when Lloyd first got into teaching and coaching, he also moonlighted as the trainer for the Kentucky Colonels, took care of their minor injuries and taped ankles and knees and looked after sprained elbows and all that stuff. And so he was very much a part of the Colonels, knew all the players, knew them well, interacted with them daily. So I asked him uh, last week, we talked about Louis Dampier. This week we're talking about Dan Essel, and I asked Lloyd, how big of a deal was it for the Colonels to sign ISIL back in 1970?
5: Well, I don't think there's any any question. It was a huge deal, and it actually happened. Uh, the deal was almost closed before Mike Storm ever got to Louisville. Uh, I think I've mentioned before that the that uh, Wendell Cherry and uh, well, back up just a second, just so just so our our listeners know, Mike Storm was the
1: general manager for the Colonels.
5: Right, Mike Storn came here from the Pacers in 1970-71, and that okay. was Dan's that was Dan's rookie year. But but Dan actually had made a, uh, a connection with John Y Brown and Wendell Cherry before uh, he Mike Storn ever got here. So Mike Storn's not the one that really closed the deal. Uh, Wendell Cherry and uh, of course John Y both went to UK. They had that UK connection and and it was very important that we, we had the thing called territorial drafts where you could draft a player within your state. Uh, they felt like that would help your attendance, and uh, so that was used quite a bit, and of course, we used it with Dan, and and of course, he had a local attorney. Jay Bruce Miller was his, uh, was his attorney representing him, but it was huge that we got him uh, on this team, and of course, we would have never won the championship without him, and that first season when Artis came in, we had, we were 68 and 16. And, uh, that record is like sixth or seventh all time in all of pro basketball. Yet today, of course, the Jordan years and a couple of those Laker teams that won so many games with Kareem and West. Uh, but when you're talking about 40 years, it still be ranked seventh in all time of pro basketball. But, uh, Dan was very special. And, uh, we uh, it certainly did, you know, his first year, he was a co-rookie of the year with Charlie Scott, and he was a leading scorer, I believe, in the league that year. So uh, there's no question the career that Dan has had, uh, his impact, and, and, and you know, people don't realize that his, his personality uh, with the public, uh, he was always there to greet people, to sign autographs, uh, things that people don't do today. I mean, it wasn't anything for a player to put his arm around a guy and walk to the locker room, and even, sometimes even bring them in the locker room. I mean, you couldn't get close to an NBA player today between the the end of the court and the locker room. So, uh, But Dan was huge in our success, and I will never, ever in my life forget the day that he was traded. We went through a whole summer uh, knowing that John Wild was going to trade either Artis or Dan, and that was, of course, right after we'd won the championship. And uh, a matter of fact... Uh, Dan and I flew to Fort Knox to do a commercial uh to show to the army it was about alcoholism. A helicopter met us in the uh parking lot at the Freedom Hall and I had gotten his blue uniform out, his uh brand new blue uniform. Well, actually the uniform we won the championship. I got that blue uniform out, that's what he's gonna wear for the commercial. We flew to Fort Knox and back. In a helicopter, when he got out, he grabbed his gym bag and got in the car, and I'm hollering, Dan, I need your uniform. He drove off. I never got it back. That's the only one of those six pieces, <laughs> home and away, Dan artist lloyd that I don't have today was Dan's blue one.
0: Lloyd mentioned uh, Dan's uh, uniform. Lloyd, when uh, Dan wrapped up his career at uh, with the Kentucky Colonels after that 1975 game, Dan was, you know, he thought he would be coming back, and then he got, as we say, sold to the Baltimore Claws and then on to the Denver Nuggets. So Lloyd cleaned out his locker and, and just stored all that stuff away. And since that time, Lloyd has collected a great deal more because what happened after the colonels folded in 1976, the person who was in charge of the fairgrounds, Kentucky fairgrounds, called Lloyd and said, Lloyd, uh, we've got all this Colonel stuff still here in the locker room. We need to clean it out. You need to come and clean it out or we're just going to throw it away. And so Lloyd went over there, loaded up the van, brought it to his father's barn at the time, stored it in his father's barn, but now has it as a collection in his basement. And it's like a museum to the Kentucky Colonels. He has the Last pair of game shoes Dan Issel ever wore, which was in that 75 championship game. He has many of the uniforms, warm-up shirts. Uh, He has the benches that came out of the locker room. He has all kinds of photographs. He has the scorebook from the 1975 ABA championship game. Game balls. He has several game balls, including the game ball from the night they won the championship in 75. So, I've seen it. It's a very impressive collection that Lloyd Gardner has in his basement of Kentucky Colonel's paraphernalia, and it was all going to be thrown away. The fairgrounds just wanted to get rid of it, and they were just going to toss it all. And right now, anybody who loves sports memorabilia would love to have that collection. Anyway, that's the topic on Dan Essel, his college and pro career. And we're going to visit with Dan again next week because we talked about the fact He has moved back to Kentucky, was living in Denver, moved back to Kentucky. There's a specific reason he's back, and that's to try to help bring an NBA franchise to Kentucky. And that's going to be our topic next week. And you may be sitting there saying, well, I live in far western Kentucky or far eastern Kentucky or far southern Kentucky, and and the team is going to be based in Louisville, and I'm never going to be up there to see them in person, so why should I care? And people who are trying to bring this team here will tell you there are two or three really good reasons why you should care if you live here in Kentucky. And we'll talk about that. And more importantly, since this is a show called Kentucky Sports Memories, we'll look back at the history of near misses, of bringing an NBA team here. It is amazing how many times this state has come close to landing an NBA franchise and just missed because of this or that and the stories are fascinating and I'll talk to Bruce Miller who's a local attorney who's been involved with that uh, movement ever since the colonel's left in 76 to try, try to bring an NBA team back as I said Dan Issel is now involved very active in that movement and we'll talk about that I think you'll find it fascinating even if you aren't a fan of the NBA I think you will find it fascinating that will be our topic next week when we get together once again so I hope you come back and join me This is Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. See you next week.
4: When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer.
5: When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I
4: want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I wanna be a football stadium. When I grow up, I wanna be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I wanna be a fancy backstory. I,
5: I wanna be a bike that races around the like country. When I grow
4: up, I wanna be a bench on a forest trail. I, I wanna be a rocking chair on when a sunny I grow up, porch. I wanna be a skyscraper. When I want to be a I wanna be, be, be a I wanna be wanna be a I wanna mean, be I want I wanna be a When I grow up I don't want to be a piece of garbage, and if you recycle me, I won't be.
5: Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council.